Episode 148 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the much-loved British comedy duo Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones. They first worked together on the groundbreaking sketch show Not the Nine O'Clock News, then the film Morons from Outer Space before several TV series with Smith and Jones in the title. They also did plenty of projects separately. Mel Smith sadly died in 2013 at the age of 60. This interview took place in 1992, in London, where they were promoting the seventh series of their BBC TV show, Smith and Jones. Do you still get on as well together as you've ever done? Is is the relationship very different? (laughs) How different is the relationship now to when you first met? Well, it's not sexual anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's all right. It's OK, we've got over that. We've got to a deeper understanding. Yeah. I think we probably only stay together for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the joint mortgage, which is a bit This is why we don't need to go very well together. <laughs> is it easier now, though, because the pressure's off you because you're very established? No, in fact, absolutely not. No, it's not. I mean, we're, we're working as hard, if not harder, on this series as any we've ever done, at least it certainly feels like that. Yeah, we are, we're working as hard. It's not harder. It was good. We had a year off last year, which was kind of handy. Came back to it with a certain freshness. But it's, no, it doesn't get any easier at all, actually. It's easier only in as much as there are more people who you know are ready to, to, are ready to turn on. I mean, you're not actually kind of necessarily trying to win people over. But I mean, that's really sort of rather cerebral kind of notion. Because when you're doing a series, it's just about doing the series. You know, you've got a current approximately 20 items per programme that have some kind of freshness, some kind of originality. So that problem remains. That, that will never go wrong. They say that artists are often best when they're hungry, as it were. I'm presuming you two haven't been hungry for a while, so... It's what having your appetite is, isn't it? Yeah. But we've both got fairly big appetites. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you're both driven by the same motives? I think an artist doesn't... It's not when it, uh, People find it difficult if they've suddenly become... Um, sliced bread. That's when people find it difficult. We, we're surrounded by friends who've been sort of like so enormously successful that they then they can't do anything else. They're so frightened of going on and doing something which is actually going to be. And the great thing, in a sense, is that because we've never been so hugely successful as to be, you know, like that, you just keep going. It's just a job. But for some people, some people we know um, have become so hugely, fantastically lauded for what they've done that they actually find it almost impossible and do anything else because everything that they do after that is going to be they've so they become flaky they become very worried about the notion of their reputation being on the line by just actually almost stepping outside the door if I step out the door in this particular way people are going to say look at the way you're stepping out of the door it's not as clever as the way you used to step out of the door last week so in a sense I always feel that our sort of uh, our sense of toddling along which is what we've really we've really done um, we've sort of crept up on people really rather than sort of Coming anybody is sort of cunt. I think that probably means that we don't find anything we didn't carry on work. But also, for some reason, a double X always stayed there. Yeah? Well, if you think back over double X over the years, they have a tendency, not only to stay together, but they have a tendency to plough the same fire. And the reason is because if you're an individual and 
you work with those workers individuals, the opportunities are endless for you. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, one minute somebody says to you, I want you to come be in a Shakespeare, you say, oh, that's good, I'll go and do that. Or, um, I'd like you to sort of appear and do this, play this part of the But if, if, if you exist as a relationship in people's minds, then to a certain extent, that's what you have to do. You can't say, I want, because in fact, the projects we've done where you suddenly is over, we'll try and do something different, which is sort of like Mel and Griff in a slightly different sort of way. People sort of go, oh, I don't see a point of that. What's the point of that? What's the point of seeing them? I want to see, if you see them, you want to see them doing the same thing. So it tends to, I think yeah. that for that reason, there's a sort of longevity there. And also sheer and utter difficulty of changing direction. There are two. <laughs> we were just discussing this the other day, because we did a, we did a Sunday night thing which we had with two minutes, and we saved the lyric. We saved the lyric there. Sunday. And the other thing is that if you're on stage and you're doing a, a stand-up act, you know, and you're on your own, you go and you go, whoops. They don't like this, do they? And you go, it's all right, I'll just cut the next bit. I'll cut the next bit, yeah. But Mel and Griff, we're trying to sitting there doing something, we came to think about Michael Caine in a charity, and as we both sat there and thought, we're both sitting there, we know, we're, you know, we're experienced players, we can see a hole coming in the railway track. We can tell where they're not. We're chugging along at 60 miles an hour, there's a huge hole here in the railway track, <laughs> and we're just about to fall into it. <laughs> but there's no way that I can say, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Talking of that, I was... Uh, well, let's cut the next uh, ten minutes. <laughs> just, uh, we're just all right? Okay, thanks very much. Can we no, carry on? You can't do that, you see, because you have to rehearse it. You have to sort of work it out and do things. And, and so in that sense, you know, there's a, there's a tendency for double acts to sort of do what they know. Sunday night, we're doing a charity yes. show, and we did about half an hour's worth of new material. I think it was... Yes, we're sending yourself incredibly short. Sorry, yeah. Double act doing what they know. I, I, suddenly I felt like Evil Knievel on Sunday. It was, yes, it was rather funny. Because ridiculous carry on. on. I mean, we could have gone on and done some great visits, but oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you do? You sometimes come up with the old standard sketches that we've I think anybody, before. listen, I mean, anybody will use in an act, you know, the, mm. and particularly actually in a charity show also, because, you know, uh, you want to go, and, I think, generally, you want to go on and do stuff that you know is. Stuff. It won't be stuff that would have been on telly, we don't do that. Party pieces are changed. You do, party yeah. pieces. But, but in fact, oddly enough, we didn't. Well, I mean, we did. We did, but we did, we, one, we did one of our pieces. We did one of our pieces, but the rest of it was stuff we've never done before. What is your most, what's your most requested party piece, as it were? Well, it's not that I don't know. I don't think people have seen me to all the parties we've been to, so they don't tend to request them. I mean, they feel obviously feel very, very at home with the notion of the head to head characters. So that's the one they want to see. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, like the last tour we did, we did, took some characters that had been in the series, but then like did something different with them on stage. Actually, rewrote some sketches for them. You know, I'm trying to think of an example like Doris Stokes, the medium. You know, that kind of that sort of thing. We wrote a completely new script for, but it still contained me in in a dress, which obviously <laughs> has has a lot of comic value to it. <laughs> but uh, not quite like sort of like you know, like Roland, for example, has his uh, man trying to sneeze in a church. Yeah. And as his man changing into baby trunks on a, on a beach. But he doesn't do requests, do he? He comes in and says, hey, okay, folks, uh, what do you want to hear now? Roland decided he does. You want to hear the uh, schoolmaster sketch? Okay. Yeah! Okay, go on, give it to schoolmaster. Go on, And anyway, any comedian also knows that Monty Python and the end gave up live shows altogether because they found that they go and they do their famous sketches and the whole audience would be shouting them along with them, you know, with the lines. <laughs> and and consequently, the audience do it. Because you always think, well, what would be fun would be to go on and do. We used to do Constable Savage from Not Michael News, not two of us, but me and Roland have done it on several occasions. And you come to it and you think, yes, this is a fantastic sketch, which they all love. And the opening words would be greeted with a storm. Oh, come oh, in, Savage. Oh, come in, Savage. Then, <laughs> deathly silence would ensue while, while we went through the sketch, because they all knew the lines. They didn't. 
They weren't going to laugh again, and they laughed when they first saw it. And they thought, oh, this is good, they're good, we see it. And then a huge round of applause at the end, but to do it is rather a dispiriting experience. Mm. So it's rather more fun to take something which people sort of might know, like head to head, and then do some new stuff. New stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. I was curious to know how different your backgrounds were before you met. Were there any similarities in your backgrounds? Ooh. Sure, particularly. I mean, a lot, actually, the funny way. I mean, it's well, we both went to things. You know, we both went to a similar type of school. Didn't yeah, we? yeah. We both, um, mm. you know, Mel was one end of the Central Line and I was the other. Really, wasn't that pretty much pretty true? Much? Pretty much yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. My father was a bookmaker. Your father was a doctor. Very, very similar so in that respect. Sort of risk, uh, high risk business. <laughs> 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 we both then went to um, either Oxford or Cambridge. Either Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> And we both pursued careers as directors, I mean amateur directors, okay. rather than comedy performers. And the comedy performing was what we did as a spare t- I mean, if you can imagine, this is a rather bizarre thing. You did directing as a spare time activity from, from being a student, student, and then did comedy as a spare Fair time, time activity from, from, from being a direct spare time That's director. Right. Was, right. the, was there no Same. theatricality in either of your backgrounds at all? Well, I think... My mum's a bit over the top. But <laughs> <laughs> and so was your father, actually, yes, remember. Yes, So in that to, respect, but no, not in terms prone of... To, prone to histronics of one kind or another. But not, uh, no. Were, were either of you classroom wags, as it were? Do you know, I, no, I don't believe I was particularly. Oh, well, perhaps I was. I don't know. I always sat at the back. Does that mean you were a wag? <laughs> a wag, you were being hidden away in the corner. No, no, it was important to be around people who were funny, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was roughly divided into two groups, as far as I can remember, at school. Probably there were lots of other groupings. But there was a sort of group of people in the sixth form who sort of been like, I don't know, I don't know what they did after the they became engineers or something like that. Or they read sciences and things like that. There was a sort of group of people who, in a sense, were related to the world of wanting to have a sports car and wanting to... And wanting to sort of grow up, if you like, right. fairly quickly. And I didn't really relate to that bunch of people. I, yeah. I was with the sort of immature bunch who hung around and sniggered a lot at various <laughs> jokes. And uh, so, in a way, the sort of aspect of it, I suppose. Mm. So, neither of you particularly wanted to be successful at that stage. Were you very motivated or driven? I think I wanted to be probably successful, but I didn't have a clue at what, I have to be honest. Mm. Although, actually, that's not altogether true, because I made up my mind to become a director when I was 16 for some insane reason. It's a bloody stupid thing to decide to want to do, but that's what I did, so... What did you want to be, Griff, mm. when you were a, I no a train idea. driver? <laughs> no idea. I wanted to be an actor when I was six, but I, got, I grew out of that school. I was designed, I couldn't really get the parts. You know what I mean, love? <laughs> 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 they didn't, you know, I didn't get the... I, you know, the school, school acting passed me by. He <laughs> passed me over. So I decided, and I had no... Uh, no, we... I remember that once we were... The class was asked... They said, you know, what do you want? Why are you all going to university? And we said, because you told us to. <laughs> you told us to go. What do you mean, why are we going to university? We're all going there in order to postpone the the point at which one becomes have to face up to the reality of doing a daft, of doing a, a routine job. And I yeah. suppose, in a strange and rather frightening way, one has still managed to avoid that coming to that reality. I think so probably less people go to university for that reason nowadays, don't I think they? That's yeah, true, yeah, I think it's probably changed quite a bit. Though. You studied experimental psychology. At, yes. Uh, Oxford, <laughs> yes, it was a. Do you think that helped in your? No. Nope. Nope. Not in the slightest. But what about you your know, history, Griff? Do you think? I did. Uh, it's obviously helped with the age of some of the jokes. 
Hey, well, you see. But I think we missed out a very important thing. I was doing when I was doing it. It's funny, isn't it? When the interview season comes around again, all these things come out again. Is that a very important thing? Because there were several very important things when you went through, you know, your school life. The moment when you first realised, not really the moment when everybody suddenly realised that everybody was um, into sex, because that sort of crept out and that didn't happen until sort of, you know. But the moment when everybody realised that they were all, we were all listening to the same bands was very important. And we suddenly realised that what was known in those days as progressive music or, mm. or the, the sample, there was a CBS sample of the rock machine starts here or something, whatever. Do you remember Fill those? your head with rock. Fill your head with and, 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 uh, and, uh, yeah. and the rock machine and the rock machine part two. And those are very important records because yeah. suddenly in the lower sixth form, I remember distinctly that they started to distinguish the sort of person you were as to the sort of music you listened to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the sort of things you liked, whether you were a big Monty Python fan and all that. Mm. And we tend to forget that in those days, perhaps there still is, it's just we've grown older, but in those days, there was a very, very big divide between the idea of the alternative world or, you know, the hip. Or, did you find that? Yes, cool? yes, I know yeah, what you and mean. I think the naughty world and the straight world were very, very Yeah, that, that idea of sitting on the top of a bus and winding down the window and shouting, normal people who were walking down the street was considered a really daring and interesting and anarchic thing to do. Though not very and funny, obviously. Not very funny. <laughs> Not really no, I know what you mean. I, I know that, that right. if I was sitting at the back of the bus, I'd be tempted to go forward and spray these people. Mm. Sort of no, that's true. Very true. Mace or something like that. But um, I'm sure you've told the story many times. Can you tell us how you first met? Was it whilst you were at respective Oxford and Cambridge universities? Yes. Well, Griff remembers this better than I do. What that says for the state I was in, I don't know. No, no, we didn't. I don't think we did meet. I just saw you. Like you were pointed out as a sort of... Landmark. I'm sure that we met at some... Yeah, mm. Well, yeah... I mean, we were both we in the same met. line of work, you see, yeah. because he was directing in Cambridge and I was directing in Oxford, so we did. Well, the Edinburgh Festival, it was undoubtedly Edinburgh Festival, I think, wasn't it? We must have been up at the Edinburgh Festival, yeah. both of us, yeah. for one reason or another. So it wasn't exactly love at first sight. Well, it wasn't really so much no, not love at first sight, it just really sort of... just didn't meet in those terms. I mean, I was aware of you, I yeah, think. Yeah, I was aware of Mal. Mm. I went to see you in uh, the one about... Joey Baker. Joey Baker, yeah, I must have seen that. Yeah. And then we didn't really get to know no. each other until not the night like news. Right, we were thrown together by we the BBC. Forced together. Well, by yes, by John Lloyd and Sean Hardy, who were producing it in a sense. Um, Griff Griff sort of guested on. Um, did he world famous Donaldson? Did impersonation much other things series, in the first series, and then became mm-hmm. a permanent member of the team in the second. So, did you automatically click at that stage? I suppose we must have done really. It's funny, sort of discussing something. But we got—we like well, no we we, we we were the bit that was left behind when the tide went out. Really, we were little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we were the flotsam you know, and jetsam. We, we, we were, were a little bit. I think there's always been a slight problem with us, <clears> and uh, the sort of you know, in a sense, you know, problem is not the word. But the two of us have always been sort of fairly, sort of robustly straightforward about these things. There's an awful lot of. Talked about comedy, yeah. and I think you know, and what's funny, and sort of people agonising and going into long peregrinations. But I think the thing that linked us together was that we weren't really. We tended to be the two naughty boys at the back of the class, even then, didn't we? Really, That's not naughty way. boys. That's right. not really true to say. But in a sense, neither of us. We didn't. We came having come from a background where we'd done, shall we say, a, a fair range of things. I've been a producer at the BBC and done a fair number of things, and. We neither of us, I think, looked at the idea of being at that stage, oh, being 
comedy stars that's in, right. a, in a sort of firmament in which they were sort of, you know... That's very true. Um, it, it, we it, didn't, it, did it we? Was, no, that's absolutely, actually, you and, are absolutely right. It was like great fun to be a yeah, part of, yeah. but it was sort of something you hadn't counted yeah. on. And, and counted on, planned on, or planned sort on of at seen all. as being the, the way in which, in a strange way, one would suddenly to be catapulted from whatever we were doing yeah. to the thing. Mm. It, wasn't like, it wasn't like a career move. Now, that's right, that's true, I'm actually. not saying, I'm not naming names, but for some people there was a career move about it, you know, in, in a sense, you know, like mm. it was the way that they had chosen before they came to do it on the Nycock News. This was the process by, that, that well, they saw as well. being part of their, their, their rise to, to international stardom. Did and we, and we didn't, I don't think either of us had that sort of idea. It no, was sort of took true. us a little bit by surprise. So we tended not to be, you know, in that sense. Probably just had a slightly less holy attitude, perhaps, to just, um, you know... Do you think you two were always destined to go off as a pair from the not very That's history? very funny, that, because, uh, because I can't even, really... I mean, it was sort of like... When was the decision made that no. we would ever do the a Susan Jones show? I remember strange. that, because what happened was we'd already started by then... We'd already started to do radio commercials together. To make that is very commercial. true. You were doing Mach and Brass. Yeah. And we'd already made a company. I mean, this was a bizarre thing. Like, when they suddenly announced, or when it was announced, that Not the I Got News was sort of coming to an end... We, uh, both of us felt, you know, slightly, oh, right, okay. Now, in a funny way... Didn't mind it, though, to no, be quite honest. No, not, not really, no, there wasn't a feeling of thing. But uh, there was a sort of, oh, right, it's coming to an end. And the, but then there was a real sense of, so um, it, yeah. you know, you can go on living off, which is quite true, mm. off a huge television success like that, for quite a long time. And we, I mean, uh, my, Jo says that when she married me, the whole principle was, you know, my life then consisted of getting up at about 11 o'clock, Going down a pub, meeting up with some friends, wandering about, not really much on your plate, and sort of occasionally coming home in the evening and sort of sitting after the pubs had shut again. You know, there was nothing really going. We did, I did one series of Smith and Jones in a year, which used to, and far less occupying in a way than doing this. Not Smith and Jones, not an iPod news. Far less occupying than doing yeah. this is no. because this we are involved very heavily in the writing and the putting together and the production and all sides of it, and it's just mm. you know. And not that I got news, there was a lot that, that had two, uh, the two producers who worked on, Sean and John, were very much their own men, weren't they? We yep. were serving yep. pretty much their vision of what they wanted to do. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that when we finished, there was a sort of limbo, and I distinctly remember that I was offered a pilot, part in a pilot, I think, called Quirt, which then went on to be... Um, what did that become? In that became uh, Who Dares Wins. And they said to me, do you want to be... Do you want to be in this? And I thought, I came to you and I said, I've been offered this thing. And I said, oh, the trouble with me is I don't really want to go back and be another member of a team. We've just done that for four or five years. Yeah. I don't want to go back and be... What about the two of us? Because by then we were making commercials. What about us going to John Howard Davis? Because Rowan had already been in and said, I want to do Blackadder and so on and so forth. And we said, what about us going yeah. to John Howard Davis and talking to him about the possibility of doing a show? Which we did. And he said, well, what do you want to do, boys? And we said, we don't know. <laughs> a documentary about the Serengeti. <laughs> the uh, but, uh, but we, yeah, that's right. We started doing radio commercials together. And it really must have been a happy it. coincidence having the name Smith and Jones for surname. That is that's all it is. Smith and Jones. Well, it's, because it's not even true, of course, because his yeah. his surname is Reese Jones. So, yeah. But it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Yeah. Do you think the fact that you look so different helped has helped a great deal over the years? I don't know. I think we both look sort of less than ordinary, or more than ordinary. Although the grotesque thing is, that I was sort of brought in you know, when I got news to be. The ordinary one mm. to be the person to play to play. Were you really? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> I was never told that. But you know, it never came like across. John Lloyd like said. John Lloyd always said, you know, the great thing about you, Griff, is that you're very useful to me because I've got, you know, I've got Rowan, you know, who's plays me. 
who plays the sort of the visitors from the planet X, and uh, and I've got Mel there in as the sort of cuddly one, and I, you know, but and you, you're going to be very useful to me to play gardeners and policemen. Oh, thanks, John, and doctors and things like that, which was weird for me because on stage up to that point, my sort of speciality had been Mr. Flopabout, Mr. Sort of falling about all over the place, knocking myself on the head, and coming on going like this. a bit more like Henry in a funny sort of way. Were you um, wary of being paired off together because of maybe the Laurel and Hardy tag or, or even mm, Morecambe and Wise? I mean, they didn't I always... Know. No, I think, once you, I think once you've decided that you want to work together, I mean, I think all the sort of... Any comparisons that people are going to make, they're going to make anyway. I mean, I don't mm. want to appear too offhand about it, but, I mean, you know, that's really... But that's not a worry. I mean, you can't worry about it. It's sort of... It's if, sort if, of if, if, there are other concerns, like, can we be funny? And, yeah, and that's really... And where we get our yeah. scripts from, and what are we going to do? Those are what concerns. Are but the worry about what people sort of people say about you in terms of your like or your familiar or your similar to is a bit daft, because all forms of things are like something else. The idea mm. that, in a sense, there's going to be a unique... something completely unique about whoever comes along mm. is that only comes... Especially in terms of performance or relationships, that tends to develop over the years, I think. That, to begin with, inevitably, people are going to look at you and say, well, that's sim- similar to what that's like. Mm. Because Morecambe and Wyatt started off as Abbott and Costello. I mean, that's, they, mm. they used to do Abbott and Costello routines. Yeah. That's, mm. They just do Abbott and Costello routines up and down the halls. And um, to a certain extent, I suppose, in a way, we obviously knew that we were going to be closer to the two Ronnies because we came from a similar tradition. Mm. We came from a similar tradition of a sketch show. And mm. funny enough, from a topical sketch show as well. Mm. So there was always a sense in which we were going to be... We were going to be closer to the notion of the two Ronnies than the Morecambe and Wyatt. But... In a funny way, over the years, one thing we've done, I think, which Two Ronnies didn't do, and which, uh, I'm not saying it's a better thing, but it's just a thing that happened, we have developed over the last few years more towards a sort of relationship. Because I think if a, if a, if a, if a double act is going to continue, then in a way what is interesting to see is the relationship between the two people. So you start to get a familiarity with their sort of their quirks, if you like. And that's yeah. certainly come, something that's come and paid enormous dividends for us in the stage show recently. We didn't and uh, the feeling there is that I mean almost for the first time we're, we're, we, when we first started doing the stage show it was very much you know um, well, we we'll do stuff do from the telly and so on the stage so show was tricky now, one yeah. because we didn't have a stage show mm. if you so, think we, about so, it. Yeah, so we had to take right. television and ideas that we had from things we'd done before or put mm. them together or try and knock now, up some, some stuff that we weren't sure how yeah, it would go now we're looking at the stage show saying how can we get some of that feel we have mm. on stage into the television show yeah, which is good. very good yeah. it's a very good development it means that we're sort of it means that in a funny way it also means a sort of what, what one is always looking for is a direction to go in, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, when you just, when you tend to stumble, as we've done, yeah. <laughs> or like correct from one move to the next, mm. you don't, you don't, it's difficult to know what it is you want to do. And yet there is a real sense, I think, that when we're doing stuff now, you know, we did the kiss. Do you remember the kiss? Mm. We did that mm. big thing. Mm. And then we do other things where we sit on the stores together. Mm. Now, when I watch the programmes back, I, you know, there are sketches, they're good sketches, they're bad sketches, the bits you like, the things you don't, you know, you may not like more than other things, and the things you think are hilarious. But the things that, in a funny way, stamp the identity of the show are the head-to-heads and the stool stuff and other bits where we work together and mm. you feel, well, that's fun because you're seeing... Too. And I also think, in a funny way, the stool stuff is is not really like Morecambe Wise. It's not musical. Yeah, it's, sort of, it's sort of more... It's not as it's not as as structured as a music hall thing is, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it moves between. It actually takes us for what we are, mm-hmm. and that's probably what we yeah. do, isn't it? We yeah. play more yeah. to the sort of yeah. sense of who we are, and I, I like that a great deal. Some partnerships have failed through, you know, just not getting on terribly well, perhaps seeing too much of each other, whatever. Why do you think you two have survived and stayed friends, whereas other partnerships, comedy partnerships, necessarily haven't remained so? I don't know. I mean, we're not forced to go out and play on stage together, you know, sort of 40 weeks a year mm. um, with fundamentally the same sort of material. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, I mean, I'm thinking sort of going back 
going back in time, one can imagine that that would sort of, you know, that would naturally get, you know, sort of, you know I mean, you've got too little to think about, in a sense. I think as long as, as, long as we're, we're working together and apart, and as long as the, the show when we come to do it, the Smith & Jones show when we come to do it, is developing, so we're always trying to kind of, you know, we're working to improve it, um, it still feels like a job in hand, and therefore, you know, uh, I, d- I don't think you... You don't have the time to sit around and kind of get antsy, do you know what I mean, with each mm-hmm. other, I mean, uh, in, in a way. How much do you see of each other outside of work? Not a lot, but then you see... We see so much, see so much of each other. Yeah. I mean, yes, we, we, we are often asked that question, and that is the truthful answer. I mean, if mm. you if you sort of uh, work together as much as we do, and share sort of you know kicking around space in this building, you know, I mean, it's just it's a fact of life that you spend a lot of time with each other. Are you each other's best friends? It's a very difficult question to answer, isn't it? Are you best friend? I don't know. Then you, that's in, that presupposes that you have a best friend, and then you look Actually, back at around. Actually, I was just trying to think. You certainly look around your friends. I can't imagine who it was. I think, funny enough, you've, by the time you got to a certain age, you you pretty much aware that the idea of a best friend becomes mm. a slightly rather curious yeah, idea, yeah. doesn't mm. it? So, uh, very good friends, yeah. and we will also we share a lot of friends in common. You know, there's like inevitably as you go on, you you end up in a sort of snake pit of one kind or another. And here we are, we're amongst each one of the snakes. I'm one of the snakes, and we're all mm. in the pit together. But uh, plenty of other snakes in there. <laughs> We're not, we're by no means the biggest snakes, or, or even the most poisonous snakes. There are lots and lots of, um, to extend, you know, so, you know. So how, how often do you sort of go around to each other's houses and visit each other's families and we so were on? there this morning. He was around my place this morning. He was, indeed. He was, indeed. But we don't, because we have here, you know, we live in, I mean, Mel lives out in Maida Vale, and I live out in Clerkenwell. So this is like halfway between, which is ideal. So we tend, if we're meeting, we're tending to do things, or hanging around, or kicking ass or whatever, they're chilling out or any of the things, we'll, we'll chill out here rather than um, rather than in anybody's home because the funny thing is that it just it's simpler and easier to do, really. Mm. Um, because that's why that's how all this started. Mm. What this really started, Talkback really started, as a sort of, you know, we... Somewhere to think, be during the day. Somewhere to be during the day, <laughs> funny enough. Because the process that we found rather bizarre was the whole business of sort of having agents which you... It gives you it's a terrible, I don't know whether it's a terrible arrogance or whatever it gives you, but it gives you a very different perspective, having been either producer or director on things. Mm. There's a tendency for actors, because of the nature of the sort of work they do, to wait, wait for things to happen. And there's a tendency for directors and producers to make things happen. Now, once you've been a director and producer and you've made things happen, you have very little patience with the idea of what life should be. Mm. Is you should go back to your house sit in your house and wait until wait your agent yeah. rings you mm. and your agent says, I've got something which I think you should be, you should go and see somebody for. Do you actually do quite similar things away from work? Do you find you have similar hobbies by coincidence or...? Not at all. Only in as much as I don't sail and I know you do a lot of that and I'm not boatish in the slightest. And I enjoy watching sport on television which passes you so by in a complete... <laughs> so, so what do you do, Griff, when you're away from work? I go, I've got a place to stop and I go up there, mainly. I mean, if I've got a gap and I can go and the children aren't in, in mm. school, then we'll go up there, even in the middle of the week. Do the families get on to... Obviously, the children are quite different ages, but, I mean, do they see much of each other? No, they see a lot of each other at, at all the things that we like, do. It, yes, you know, it's sort of like, you know, like take the charity show on Sunday night, mm. then obviously that's where the, you know, everybody tips up there. You know. yeah. um, but during the course of an of an ordinary working week that wouldn't be the case but for example we're also we're like we're just about to do all the live stuff for the show I think what's I think what's very useful and this just may sound very uh, oddly uninspiring I'm afraid for any sort of sense of what you can get out of it is we have a very professional relationship we've always been involved through work 
We didn't meet like in a pub and say, hey, let's get together, form an act and go mm. on the road and do that. Because I think mm. under those circumstances, you do tend to meet people. Um, you know, That's people true. I have at university with whom you have the most bloodthirsty relationships, you know, mm. relationships which, which go through sort of um, uh, highs and lows and sadnesses and, uh, and getting all drunk together and, and, then, and then falling out and, you know, and there's a great deal of passion involved. Mm. We met on a set where we were already working and as a sort of professional judgment, in a sense, carried on working together. And we've mm. done other things which we both have in, our, in sort of a similar a similar sort of interest in mm. or judgment or think that we worthwhile things. So in a sense, um, I'm not trying to discourage you from, no, no, from no. probing, but that's, it's as, it's as banal as that. Yeah, but, Do you uh, know what I mean? It's not, it really doesn't come down. There's no, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's very little more to be said about it. It's not, mm. it's not, uh, did you sort of ask Mel to be godfather to your children or be best man at his wedding, whatever? Well, this is curious because I was best man at your wedding. That's right, weren't you? But I got married uh, in the middle of Northern Ireland News, and uh, I got married because I had a horror of the whole principle of weddings. I just, I find, you know, I have two things about it which to do with, uh, to do with a sort of rampant anti-clericism which grew upon me when I was um, young, and so I find it the most uh, peculiar thing that people who never go anywhere near a church and have no ab- apparent interest whatsoever in the trappings or interests of religion, suddenly thrust themselves up the aisle with thousands of bridesmaids and the whole thing gets together and the whole thing... And I honestly, it honestly makes my flesh creep. Mm. And so, because I just don't understand it, I, I can't, you know, either, you, either you're in for that, you're not in mm. for it. You can't just choose to be in for it at a time when it sort of it seems... At least, I think that sounds... Of course you can choose, you know, free country. But anyway, so I got married in a, very, in a red registry office in a rather sort of... In a rather pointedly um, sort yes, of uh, offhand, quiet, offhand, quiet. <laughs> way. I'm not going to make a fuss about it. I'm just going to go and. Right. and uh, yeah. I remember I had to explain in some detail to reporters that Pamela Stevenson was not going to turn up to a wedding because I was just getting married just around the corner. It was just a neat little wedding. And, and finally, when they were banging on the windows of the restaurant where we were having the meal, I had to go out again and say, "Look, I'm sorry, guys, but Pamela is definitely not turning up. She's not coming with. No, no, she won't be coming at all. She won't be coming later on. So you're not having a party later on. No, no, we're not having a party. You're sure she's not going to turn up? Like we'll just hang around anyway. We'll just hang around anyway. If that's right with you, just in case. If if either of you do have any kind of worries or problems or whatever, would you go to each other? If say you're experiencing personal problems of any kind, would you discuss with each other? Would you talk to other people? Do you think it's best to keep that out of work? I'm trying to think of somebody who would what, get what, you. What, what are you trying to... What, 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 what problems what what are you like thinking a, of? No, say you had problems at home or whatever. Oh, would, right, you talk, um, would you ring up Mel and say, no, I'm having a real problem then? No, I don't think so. You no. wouldn't? Would you like... Ooh, because no. of your work relationship, no, no. you keep that no, out? No, no. Yeah. no. But as I say, I can't imagine talking to anybody about it. What about... Thrash it out, that's what I say. We talked about snake pits and other things of other people you work with. I mean, do you two fraternise with quite a few of the other comedians and so on? Yes, I mean, we keep on uh, fairly good terms mm. with, I think, with nearly everybody, really. Yeah. What sort of relationship do the two of you have now with Pamela Stevenson and Rowan Atkinson? Well, actually, with Pamela, of course, zilch, because uh, she lives on the other side of the world anyway, right. you know, and uh, so there's little or no contact. But at that time, the BAFTA thing, I think yeah. I saw her there, but that was yeah. like once in uh, two years or something, so um, not at all. And Rowan, uh, we got on with very well, but... You know, you tend to meet if you're doing a... I don't know, if you're doing a charity show together mm. or something. Now, you've both flirted, to, well, to quite a big degree with the film industry. Have either of you ever been lured completely over to Los Angeles ever, or, or Hollywood, whatever? No, I mean, you've got to be... No, no. I mean, I've spent a lot of, I've spent a lot of time there, mm. feeling it out and sort of getting to, you know, getting projects on the move and then being disappointed by them. It's a, 
it's something that ultimately, you know, I mean, I want to direct movies. I've directed one movie already, but uh, but that's something that you have to give yourself real time to do. And uh, time ran out, and we have the series to do, so that's fine as well. Uh, the other thing we've always felt about America, I think, is that it's a fairly silly notion that you just, uh, you know, chuck your stuff over there and then say, well, it's funny as far as we're concerned, so there, um, because the cultural differences are so enormous, that... Uh, I don't know whether the time will ever come where we will make a concerted effort at that, but I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know whether it means that yes, much. Yes, I think I uh, it tends to happen to people who do, for example, stand-up comedy. They get mm. to a point where they suddenly go, I've done my stand-up here, I've done it in, I've played 14 weeks at the Palladium, I've been at the Albert Hall now, I've done all this, and they suddenly, well, where, where can I play my stand-up comedy mm. now? Where can I go with it? Mm. So they suddenly think, well, I, well, I, it's only me and a microphone, I'll go and try it out in America. Mm. And in a funny way, there's a sense in which that's, that's an obvious step for them to take. Mm. The funny thing is, it here we are. Works. We always it's difficult because it's stand-up comedy is a very crowded field over there, you know. And again, it's got a culture. You know, you don't want to hear people's jokes over here being retranslated into things. So you really have to start again. Now, we might go to the states. You might say, "Well, do you want to go to the states to make a television program, comedy program?" You say, "Well, no, I'd rather stay here and do it. Why, mm. why would I want to go and live in in Los Angeles and try and absorb that thing unless the principal were there?" Well, unless the, the interest was to make millions and millions and millions mm-hmm. and millions of pounds. Do not have And well, in a funny way, no. The pursuit not, is not, not really to try and make millions and millions of pounds. It's about the fact that, in, in a funny way, sort of people seem to, seem to think that that's what success is about. Success is not about. It's not success as such, for whatever, however lucid it may be. It's honestly not about making millions and millions and millions of pounds because that's that's not a pro- you know that's not a process that sort of you know it's about it's about feeling happy with what you do. Now, obviously, whilst the two of you had a heck of a lot of success, not everything you've done has gone down terribly well. When, when one or two films or whatever haven't done well, do the two of you get very upset about that? Does it bother you? It's like a hangover. You know when you wake up with a hangover? You do. And you wake up with a hangover and you go, God, this is awful. I'm never going to recover from this. And you vomit. And then you feel better for about five minutes, oh. don't you? And then after five minutes, you vomit again. And you feel really dry. And then you feel better for about ten minutes. Mm. And it's rather like that. It nags at you. It can be very depressing because, in a sense, the the the, the, the terrible thing about you you never work so failures are what you really work hard at. Mm. What is I that? mean, it's you know when you have a failure, you've you've inevitably it's been a very very long hard struggle to get there. Um, not just because because there's something about something which doesn't quite work or isn't gelling or going right, and usually it's a failure of tone more than anything else. There's a sort of thing, and you and you work, and often things that you have huge successes with have happened in a rather slapdash, easygoing mm. way. Something which I think people fail to realise is the sense of people don't set out to, you know, they don't say, "Well, this will be all right. We'll just, just it'll just be mm. a bit of this." There's often a sense, actually, failures being things that don't work are being are being rather too heavily pre-planned as successes. Is there anything you've really regretted doing the two of you? No, I don't think I so. Don't I think don't think back no. and say, um, at the time, oh, I don't, I you know, know. I really um, don't think so. we... we uh, do you have a policy as to what you will not take the mick out of? No, that comes to... That's something that you learn to certainly extent from experience. Mm. I think. Though some people say, we haven't learned it. But no, the process by which we... by which you work is a sense of... of, of you have to, at some point, to trust your own judgment. Mm. 
What about things like the Royals at the moment? Everyone seems to be going on about them. How do you feel about that? Do you you wouldn't get much. You, I don't think, not that we have a stage show, but we wouldn't, I don't think, be going on and doing oodles of material about the Royal family because it's sort of such common currency that it's almost yeah. not funny anymore. And there's, there's also something about just name dro- the kind of name-dropping satire is, uh, is, is, is not something that we've ever really espoused. It's not something that we... I mean, it's very, you know, when, when Margaret Thatcher, the, the years of Thatcherism, it was a sort of a staple of being able to sort of jolly along um, a joke or a story to be able to sort of, you know, pin it to a reference to her or Cecil Parkinson or whatever. And of course, I mean, while those things are occasionally useful, mm. it can become very, very tiresome. It's weird, isn't it? Because in a funny way, it's not that one loses one entirely one's appetite, but you're either doing a topical satirical show, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Rory mm. Bremner's made a very positive decision Absolutely, to right, do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Uh, there's nothing wrong with spitting image. But, um, you know, you're right. And we're, but we're, we're, we're not, uh, in a sense, we're a double act. Right. And double act by, as we said, you know, in a funny way, has to try, for better or worse, to try and explore the, the interstices of relationship. Mm. And that's what we sort of would want to do. Um, and in a sense, that's not a topical or, or mm. satirical thing to be doing. You know, there's no, you, can't, you can't say that, that that isn't. It isn't. You, just sitting there and saying, hey, did you read in the papers yesterday about uh, thing? Yeah, I did. You know, in fact, when you watch double acts that you don't like, you realise that in a strange way, the process of coming to a relationship where you can laugh at what two people are talking about is actually is actually deeper than that. It's not just swapping jokes. It's, mm. It doesn't work if one person says, you know, I saw something yeah, very funny the right. other day, and the other says, what mm. was that? And you suddenly go, oh, yes, that's the actual old structure of a funny thing, um, I say, I say, I say. And the other one says, what mm. do you say? And, they talk to, and you suddenly realise that no great double act that you've ever seen, I'm not saying where, I'm just saying that any double act that you see or you might want to base yourself on, has had that structure. What you have to have is, is in something... I mean, even on the simple state of somebody going, shut up and, you know, get, get off, what the hell do you think you're doing? Leave me alone. Well, I've... You know, that's where... That's where a double act works. And so, in a sense, sometimes, you know, because the nature of the show, we... And the things... We, we are dealing with sketches, which, mm. which may have a topical edge or something, but it's not... It's not, if you like, the direction that one might want to try mm. and move in. Who do the two of you admire? Or who do, who do the two of you rate as fellow comedians or rival comedians even yeah. well they're all terribly good aren't they <laughs> but it's difficult to say because the people you admire it's going to be like getting older right when you go back and you say you know the things I, I if I look back on comedy over the years and say that was something I really you don't go you see comedians working now and you and you like them do you know what I mean mm. but you don't have the distance from them to do you think the two of you have changed the face of comedy in any way? Do you think you've been pioneering? I think Not the Night Click News was an interesting and important programme, but mainly for the reason that by the time it came about, there was a very strong belief in television circles that the sketch show as such was almost a dead duck, that it was almost impossible to do a sketch show following Monty Python. Monty Python had set a seal on that, and that in order to, be, to do a sketch show, you would have to in some way be more absurd and crazy than... And all the Not the Nine O'Clock News showed, if you like, was that that wasn't the case. Yeah. There was another way of looking at comedy and the performance of comedy, which in a way was to do it, and this may seem strange, but in a rather naturalistic way, which was a big thing that Mel brought to the programme in a way. What, up to that point, it was almost impossible. You couldn't watch a comedy sketch without people coming along. Oh, hello! How nice to see you! I'm the man with the funny voice from the sketch who's just turned up and I've got to do something really crazy. And in fact... The do a sketch in which people came in and said, um, yeah, actually, um, the thing is that, you know, and sort of 
do it in a rather naturalistic mm. way, mm. was a real change. And mm. people don't... I'm not, it doesn't seem such an obvious mm. thing now, but at the time, it was a very... It, was a very, well, it made part, partly for the mm. success of the programme, I think, was the confidence to go back and say, well, no, you can do a sketch show with jokes in it. You can do a sketch show with punchlines in it. They're just going to be good ones. Mm. Mm. Do you think you've been given the credit you deserve now? Yeah. Oh, yes, I think so. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But I didn't. It's not. I don't. I don't anyway, I don't think I don't either of us. Credit we do. I don't know. I don't. Know I don't think either of us claimed the credit. For that. I think that was just something that was. Oh, well, not, not that I can't use. Yeah. Oh no, not that I can't use. I wouldn't at all, really. I mean, except bringing a certain thing to bear in terms of the style of it, and occasionally writing things that were funny. No, that was that was a producer's show, actually, essentially, and a very fine one. It was also kind of. It actually sort of tapped into a contemporary feel. It was like rock and roll music or something. Do you think there's a lot more the two of you can expand into a lot more areas than what you've done already? I think the show will go on changing. I think we're always... I mean, even, like, even coming back in the car from my place this morning, you would, we would get into a discussion about a particular idea for a film. That goes on all... You know, I mean, that doesn't stop. That does go on. I mean, one's constantly trying to you know, sort of think about projects and think about ideas like that. So what are the projects in the pipeline at the moment? It's very difficult to sort of list them. It really is. I mean, it's I'm not being funny. There's just lots, there are lots and lots of things that are, that are at different stages and there are things that are in definite development mm-hmm. that... Uh, that involve, involve one or the other of us. And I think there's an overview... I mean, I think, ultimately, I think it would be a shame if we didn't have a crack at another movie. I think, and I think you'd agree with that. But, it's, but the process by which we get there is going to be, you know, quite... Comedy movies are very difficult. Very, very hard. Were you asked to be in this Carry On Columbus film? Or? No, we weren't, surprisingly enough, because yeah. a number of times we've been accused of being a bit Carry On-ish. <laughs> in our way, and then when they come to make it, they leave us out. But the excuse is they got the idea from us anyway... Which, did, which is hilarious. Did you know about that? No. Well, we were writing a Columbus film for Disney. And uh, I suddenly heard, I heard that Jeremy Thomas had got a lot of a copy of it. Really? Yeah. You're kidding. I'm not. Anyway, rather I'm sure they had the idea. I'm sure, no, I mean, I'm not saying that at all. I'm sure they had the idea. I'm sure they had the idea. Because after all, it's pretty bloody obvious. From here, I mean, do you have any idea how you'll both end up or...? carry on performing together I don't know well, neither of us 40 yet that's quite a rather rather mm. for two people who've been around for such a fuck of a long time <laughs> it's rather quite alarming to think that I'm still yes. you know I mean actually actually at the age where a lot of people get their first break do you know what I mean in a funny way and suddenly first make their first sort of thing so um, no I think there's life in the old dog yet mm. I think we will potentially be able to surprise it I mean the truth is that when we moved from BBC2 to BBC1 we've done Two series since then, haven't we? This will be the third, yeah. Yeah, third. We were a well-rated show on BBC Two. That was to say we were sort of uh, four or five million. And then we went up to seven million when we moved to BBC One, picked up two million. We did another show and that took it up to eight million. And then the repeats were coming in at nine million on average. So the repeats, which were edited repeats, were getting more than the original show. Which shows in a funny sort of way that, I mean, it's been, the last few years have been in a quiet way. Yes, it's sort of... Quite a success. You feel as though it has people tell you that as well, strangely enough. You you don't believe them. I mean, one doesn't... You know, you... They kind of say, you know, there's a sort of, you know... So in a funny way, that's quite a... Momentum. That's a good momentum. That's a good Mm. feeling that in a way, you know... And there is a sense of... uh, Two sorts of comedy that one tends to like. And and I think that's why double acts have that... Maybe have a bit of longevity in them. And essentially, if you can get the relationship right so that you do want to see more of those two guys talking to each other because mm. the sense of the two of them talking to each other is what, you know, is what entertains you, mm. um, then, then it has got life in it. Mm. Because essentially one of the problems about a man standing on his own with a microphone in front of you 
talking to you is that it doesn't ultimately um, it has problems with 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 colour. Do you know what I mean? It can be very strong, very very strong, but it has problems ultimately with with exploring new directions. Whereas, as we all know, anybody who's married knows it's amazing where you can go in relationships. Yes, I'm going to give you that. Obviously, all I was going to say was that actually, as long as I mean, because it is it's very hard work. And that's fine that people don't know that it's very hard work because they're not supposed to know that. That's not the point. But if, I, but if it stopped getting to the point where we occasionally end up in hysterics together in a room laughing at something, then you'd have to think, well, I'm not sure that there's really... Because after all, there's got to be a fun element to it. I mean, this is, it's not as dry a biscuit as all that no, in the end. No, no, no. And actually the fun, you know, really we is can be fun we on stage falling about together on Sunday because you find something that funny we were on stage on Sunday doing some material which to be honest we hadn't done for a while but there's no better I mean it's like a kick which is just unbelievable I mean just sitting there in front of these people and like there's a little smile almost like we are now and looking at each other and knowing that this is rather a saying, and we were having fun and you know and actually in terms of whatever you say in terms of especially for two people who came into the whole business not intending to do that with their life I can't think the reason we've started doing it is partly because you can't think of any actual process of actually Going out and entertaining people. I'm not really just talking. I'm not really talking about the process of just being on television, but doing live shows wherever. Uh, when it's going, and there's no there's no guarantee. But when it is going, and, and the process is sort of what, what's great about doing the head to head characters on stage is the sort of relaxed feel and being there with an audience and, and that sort of sense of mm. of surprise and being able to sustain, say, uh, which we do a sort of forty minute sketch, we forty do, minutes sitting, talk, sitting you know? there. And we it doesn't flag in that sense. It's enjoyable for us. It's enjoyable for them. And in that sense, that sense of the enjoyment, the woof, that you get of a large audience enjoying you for up to 40 minutes is a fantastic gift. If you are to stay together, is there anything you'd like to change about each other for the future? Oh, I, well, no. Oh, that'd be stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd be better that it didn't change. No, but I mean... It'd be better that it didn't change. <laughs> How do you both feel about reaching your 40th birthdays? In fact, when do you reach your 40th birthday? End of this year. End of next year? No, I, I am 40 this... I'm 40... Are you 40 this year now? You, you can't remember. I can't remember. You can't remember. This is pathetic, isn't it? I'm 39 this year, November. Are you? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. I think I'm actually 40 this year. There you are. That tells you exactly how I feel about reaching yeah, my 40th exactly, birthday. Yeah. I can't even remember when it's going to be. Listen, we are... <laughs> that's, that's the we best are the age we are... We are the age. We that's that right. Age? Yes, that was it. Yeah. The thing about age is that, as far as I'm concerned, I've made up my mind. I am the age I am. That is the age I am. There's no denying it. So just be proud of the fact that that is the age I am. And how old are you? Mid to late thirties. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seriously, nearly decided to split completely? No, no, no. Never occurred to us. It's never really occurred. You just find yourself. Being who you, I mean, it, no, I actually, but the thing, of course, also is, it has to be said, which was going on, and I'm not sure I ought to get agree with uh, <laughs> about anything, but, uh, no, because the fact of the matter is that, I mean, we do a lot of stuff separately. I mean, it's not as though it's a straight jacket. I mean, we're not, mm. you know, I mean, it's like, I think would it be fair to say that, uh, I don't know, little and large, for example, don't go and do, you know, do an acting part, or they don't go and appear in this, that, or the other. But we're not Stephen and Stephen and you, Stephen Fry and you, like, yeah. you know, they have their separate existence, and they have an existence together, and we're pretty much like that. For well, the younger fellows, you know, they look at us and they say, oh, yes, we've got to do that. Oh, that's what they do, but I guess. One of them goes, what the fuck is 